Well, good morning to all of you. It's a beautiful day. We're making up for all those cold days. God is good. It's a beautiful opportunity to worship together. My sermon will not be more than an hour, so you will be able to get outside. <laughs> Imagine the old days, you know, I mean, uh, church was the main thing uh, the whole day. They'd come and they'd have picnic lunch, but they'd listen to the preacher, and the preacher would go on and on and on. Aren't you glad you live today? <laughs> Can't imagine. Well, as you know, uh, children are very uh, curious about the world, and they're always asking questions. And uh, they're often asking uh, questions of God. Uh, questions like, well, dear God, how did you know you were God? Or, are you really invisible, or is it just a trick? How come you did all the miracles in the old days, and you won't do any now? And this one. Did you mean for the giraffe to look like that, or was it an accident? <laughs> but it's not just children that ask questions of God. We all do, because uh, through our asking of questions, we grow in our, in our understanding of faith. Many of the questions that we have of God are actually answered in Scripture, so we would do well to be diligent students of the Word. And then other questions that we have may uh, only be answered in heaven. So we all have lots of questions for God, but do you know that God has some important questions for us? You may not have noticed, but God is always asking questions of people in the Bible. And one of the reasons why God asks us questions is to draw us into a deeper relationship with Himself. One of the reasons why God asks questions of us is to, uh, to enter into and, and sustain a conversation with us. And it's through conversations that we grow in our personal relationships. And so God wants to have a conversation with us. So He's, he's asking His questions of you and me. But what's more, by asking His questions, God wants us to think of some very important key issues in our life. To be asked a probing question often leads to a rather unsettling but necessary process of self-examination and reflection. A simple question helps us think about the core issues uh, in our lives. So last week, if you were here, uh, I talked about uh, the first question that God asked you and me in the Bible, and the question is, where are you? It's a question asked of Adam and Eve who were hiding in the garden. It's a question of spiritual relationship. Where are you in terms of your relationship with me? Are you hiding from me? Are you running from me? Are you walking with me? It was actually a call to stop hiding, to stop running, and to return home to God who forgives us and who promises new life and who wants to continue to walk uh, through life with us. So that was the first question, where are you, spiritually speaking? And this morning, God asked you and me another simple probing question. It's asked in the context of a very sad story told involving two brothers. And uh, so we come to God's Word, and we're reading from Genesis chapter 4. Maybe a familiar story to you. Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. 
Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks, and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry, and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you not, do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Well, I think of a little girl named Susie, four years old, who just became uh, the big sister to a new baby brother. And she was so proud of this new baby brother. And so whenever somebody came over, she would say, that's my baby brother. She thought it was the best thing in the world to have a baby brother. But that lasted about four weeks. And uh, after a month, uh, Susie noticed that uh, her little brother was getting her mother's, all her mother's time and attention and energy. And so Susie came to her mother and said, Mommy, I love my little brother, but can't we send him back? If you've ever, uh, you know, had maybe had a younger sibling uh, maybe you can relate to Susie's feelings. The uh, story of Cain and Abel is a story of the first sibling rivalry, right? First si sibling rivalry in history, which, of course, is a subtle or, or not so subtle competition between offspring who live under the same roof and caused by jealousy. And in the Bible, it's actually a recurrent theme. It begins with Cain and Abel, and then we see it in Jacob and Esau, and, uh, of course, J uh, Joseph and his brothers, played out again and again. It's a dynamic in many families today. Well, the story begins with the first family having a baby whom they named Cain, and then as, as if raising Cain was not enough, they gave birth to a son they named Abel. And so the rivalry began, and both sons were very different. I always find it really interesting how kids coming out of the same hopper so to speak, you know, the same gene pool and everything, how they can be so very different. Well, Cain was a farmer and Abel was a rancher. Cain raised crops and Abel raised animals. Cain grew grain and Abel grew sheep. But both were taught by their parents uh, to honor God, to show gratitude to Him by presenting an offering to him, a gift from their labor. And so according to the story, Abel's offering was pleasing to God, but Cain's was not. And you know, it's just not clear why Abel's offering was accepted and not Cain's. 
May, it may have been uh, having to do with the state of their heart. Maybe, maybe Abel was genuinely grateful to God for all that God had done for him, and, uh, and so he uh, gave to God out of, out of, uh, out of that gratitude. And, and uh, maybe Cain, you know, was, was not so grateful and, uh, you know, just kind of giving to God out of duty. Um, or perhaps Abel gave his best, you know, the best animal of the flock, whereas Cain brought only leftovers. So we don't know what it was. But whatever the case, Cain's offering was rejected, and Cain became so jealous, he became uncontrollably angry, and in that anger, he went out and killed his brother Abel in cold blood. The first murder in the Bible, first murder in history, I guess you could say. So as we learned last week, you can't hide from God, you can't run from God. So God confronted Cain asking, where is your brother? And God, of course, already knew the answer to that question, and Cain did too. But did Cain take responsibility? I mean, did he plead for forgiveness? Did he fall on his face before the Lord and say, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I am so sorry. I was just... Uh, I, I was beside myself, and I didn't mean it, and this is what happened. Is that what Cain does? No, instead, he responds to God with words that were dripping with sarcasm. How do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? The insolent little twit. And all I know is, I mean, really, if I talk to my parents that way, I'd be dead meat. So, uh, how do I know? Am I my brother's keeper? The first part of that reply is an outright lie. Cain knew exactly where his brother Abel was. In the ground, right? And the second part of his answer, am I my brother's keeper? Actually, in that phrase, the phrase that in, in Cain's words, the Hebrew word translated keeper in English applies only to animals. So Cain was essentially saying, do I have to herd dumb Abel like Abel herds dumb sheep? And then God responds by saying something essentially like this. You know, you're right, Cain. You are not your brother's keeper but you are your brother's brother. And being somebody's brother, Cain, demands care, uh, care and accountability. It's about showing love and mercy. It's about treating your brother like a brother, not as an animal or as a piece of dirt. You're only thinking about yourself, Cain. And it's so sad because Cain could have come down through history as the first person in the Bible to show, the first human being to show love and mercy. He could have buried his anger rather than his brother's body and sought his brother's welfare in spite of his hurt. But Cain was just too full of himself, right? So he was captured by sin, which is that three-letter word with I in the middle of it. He was only thinking of himself. So God pronounced judgment. You've got to pay the consequences. So the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, 
Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Where is your brother? And that's a question that God asks you and me because we are called to care. We human beings belong to each other, and there's a sense in which we really are accountable to one another. Life in human community is not just about minding our own business. It's about taking responsibility for one another, looking out for each other, offering protection to those in danger, and showing mercy to those who need a helping hand. We may not be our brother's keeper, but we are our brother's brother or our brother's sister. Now, there is a special kind of family that we enjoy in the Christian community. We are brothers and sisters of one another in Christ, right? Uh, we have special ties in Christ. Truly, we are brother and sister to one another. I find it uh, just an amazing thing when you go to other parts of the world and when you visit a church, when you are with other Christians, there is a sense in which you know you are part of the same family. You are brothers and sisters of one another, and you know it. It's the best feeling in the world. I have an extended family wherever I go. But there's a sense in which every human being is also part of our family because every human being is created in the image of God, and Christ died for everybody. Uh, a fellow by the name of Tr Trevor Hudson, who's a Methodist pastor, blogged about a funeral that he conducted. It was a very sad funeral of a guy who was in his 20s, and uh, this young man had gone to his company's office party, and being one of the youngest and newest employees, his, his colleagues encouraged him to down a few uh, mixed cocktails. And when he climbed into his car to drive home, he was in no state to drive, but none of his colleagues thought to restrain him or to call a cab. And so on his way home, you know what's going to happen, right? So on his way home, on an open stretch of highway, he fell asleep at the wheel, and the car turned over, and he was killed instantly. And his family was devastated, and it was just a senseless death. But in reflecting upon this tragedy, this pastor, Pastor Hudson, writes in his blog, it raises many deep questions. Were the young man's colleagues to blame in any way for his death? Should they have prevented him from getting into the car? Do they have blood on their hands? Are they blameless for what happened? Questions like these introduce a difficult, complex, and challenging issue. What is our responsibility towards one another? Should we mind our own business, not care about what takes place around us, and let everyone be accountable for their own lives? Or do we have a God-given responsibility towards ensuring the well-being of our loved ones and friends, our neighbors, and our enemies, and even of our world? You know, these are huge questions. 
what is the default mode of most people in our world today? What's the default mode? Mind your own business. We want to let other people be responsible for their own lives. They can make their own choices no matter what they do. Even if they're heading down the path of ruin, we'll just let them go. What do we care? But, but you see, God calls us to care and to take responsibility for promoting the well-being and welfare of others. Life can't just be about minding our own business, especially if we see someone on the path of ruin. Because allowing people just to mind their own business and minding our own business is all about apathy. And apathy is the opposite of love, not hate. Apathy, not caring at all about our fellow human beings. We are connected to one another in the human family. We are responsible for our brother or sister so that if there are people without food, then we need to feed them. And if there are people without shelter, we need to house them. And if they're sick, we need to work for their health. If they're addicted to drugs and heading down the path of destruction, then we need to try to save them. Where is your brother? Ask God. Where's your sister? Do you care? Now, it's important for us to note that the very first question God asks of us in the Bible in Genesis 3, the question we looked at last week, is tied with the second question that God asks us in Genesis 4. The first question has to do with our relationship with God. Where are you? That's the vertical dimension of life, right? Where are you in, in terms of your relationship with me, says God? And the second question God asks of us has to do with our, our relationship with our fellow human beings, the horizontal dimension of life. Where's your brother? And so the two questions go together. Where are you? Where's your brother? So that these two dimensions of life, the vertical and the horizontal relationships, correspond to the two greatest commandments given by Jesus. Like we read in the Gospel of Luke, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? And he replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied, do this, and you will live. That was reiterated by Jesus. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. The two greatest commandments. Love the Lord your God, the, uh, the vertical dimension. Love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal, right? So Jesus says you can't love God if you're not loving people around you. You can't be in right relationship with God if you do not know where your brother or your sister is and you don't care. But then the question is, well, who is my brother? Who is my sister? We're not just talking about, you know, the nuclear family, right? It's, but it's human nature to want to narrow the definition, drawing our circles ever uh, more tight uh, so that we, we don't have to show concern beyond our immediate <laughs> acquaintances, right? So then Jesus tells this parable of the Good Samaritan. 
who showed mercy to a man beaten and lying along the road while others simply passed by. I mean, finally the Samaritan came by and, and took care of this poor man. Jesus was answering the question, well, who is my neighbor? Who is your brother or sister? And the answer is that it's anyone that is within our capacity to show mercy to. Now, granted, you know, we can't help everybody, but we can certainly help someone in need, especially if they're lying right alongside our path. And we always have a choice. We can mind our own business, let them live their own lives, they're responsible for themselves, or we can show mercy and love as best we can. So what would God rather have us do? You may have heard me tell the beautiful Jewish story of two brothers who lived side by side on adjoining lands. And one of the brothers was the head of a large family and the other lived alone. And one night the, 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 the brother who had the large family was, was lying awake, he couldn't sleep, and he was thinking, you know, my brother lives alone and he doesn't have the companionship of a wife and children to cheer his heart like I do. So while he sleeps, I will carry some of my sheaves into his field and put it into his barn. But you know, at the very same hour, the other brother reasoned, my brother has a large family and, and has, uh, his necessities are greater than mine. He has many mouths to feed. As he sleeps, I will put some of my sheaves on his side of the field and in his barn. And so the two brothers went out at the same time, each carrying out his purposes, bearing his gifts, laden with sheaves, and they met at the dividing line between their two pieces of property. And there the brothers embraced. And years later, at the very place stood the Jerusalem temple. And on the very spot of their meeting stood the temple's altar. If only Cain had treated his brother like this. God has honored true worship is performed when brothers and sisters treat one another like brothers and sisters and take seriously their responsibility to truly care for one another. And so the Apostle John in his letter speaks directly to you and to me. I mean, he could have written this to us. He says, for this is the message you have heard from the beginning. You should love one another. Do not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own actions were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, my brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed from death to life because we love each other. Anyone who does not love remains in death. Anyone who hates a brother or a sister is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech but with actions and in truth. And really that passage needs no commentary, extra commentary, right? It speaks directly to us. It's all about love. 
practical love, concern for our brother and sister, whoever they might be. There's another important thing to note about this story as we talk about it. It's, uh, Cain's murder of his brother leads him to be sentenced by God, so God pronounces judgment, and, and uh, uh, basically God says to him, you know, Cain, you have, uh, created, you have committed the most heinous crime, and, uh, and you're going to have to reap the consequences. And uh, what God does then is He expels him from the farm, right? And he's banished to live a life as a fugitive, wandering around in the land of Nod. And Cain even complains about this sentence. He says, anyone who meets me will kill me. But then God shows His grace because God put the mark, puts the mark on Cain. Uh, it's a mark of guilt, you know, but it's also a mark of protection. It will ward off anyone who would dare take vengeance on Cain. We're not sure what the mark was. Was it some tattoo that God put on his forehead or whatever? I don't know. Nobody really knows. But he had the special mark that God gave him that was visible. But it was above all a mark of mercy. God showing his grace to Cain despite of the terrible thing that he did. It was God's way of saying the murder of your brother was a heinous crime, but nevertheless, I still care about you, and you are still a recipient of my grace, and I will watch over you, and I'll protect you. Undeserved mercy, grace, spite of what Cain did. So Cain, again, went uh, the way of the fugitive in the land of Nod. Uh, he wandered around. But it's through Cain that God's people kept descending. So God is always at work. Despite our worst efforts and all of our terrible failings and living God's way, God's creative purposes continue. So the question is, where is your brother? Who is your brother? Who is your sister? You and I, again, are called to regard every human being as our beloved sibling. For after all, everyone bears the image of God, and Christ died for all. Not just for those who believe in Him or are in the Christian community. He died for everybody. So we have to care about everybody as we are able There's a prayer written by a guy by the name of Alden Solovey. Maybe you could pray this prayer with me. It's, it's apropos. He says, The man in the gutter, the woman on the street, they are my sister and my brother. The frail and the meek, the lonely and the lost, they are my father and my mother. The soldier under fire, the girl in a wheelchair, they are my son and my daughter. The widow and the orphan, the confused and the lost, they are my cousins and my friends. God of justice, only you know why one man is born for silk and another man is born for sand. Only you know why one woman is born for castles and another is born for cardboard. God of mercy, grant me the wisdom and compassion to see all men and women as my family and kin. Help me to use the gifts of my life as blessings to share. 
Grant me compassion for those in need, the suffering, the hungry, those in pain, those in fear. Lead me to a path of love and healing in service to your holy name. Amen.